Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, this is Jim Stengel. I am the host of the CMO Podcast. One of my favorite episodes in the three years that I've been recording weekly episodes with the world's greatest CMOs, one of my favorites is with Shelly House, who has been the CMO of Ulta for about 10 years, Ulta Beauty. Shelly passed away recently. She is one of the brightest lights in her industry. She was a tremendous inspiration, and she will continue to be an inspiration and a beacon for all of us. As a tribute to Shelly, we would like to re-release the episode we recorded with her. It's one of the best. What do you remember as the first brand that had an impact on you? The first brand that had an impact on me growing up. This is a weird one. Esprit. You know the fashion brand mm-hmm, Esprit? Sure. sure. I used to get their catalogs and they did a really great job with their catalogs in, you know, in the 80s. And I would sit with the catalog for hours and put pieces together and outfits together and plan my plan wardrobes that I would buy if I had the money to buy them. This brand was so amazing, so curated, so cool that it really, that, that's the one that probably had the earliest impact on me. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Shelly House, chief marketing officer of Ulta Beauty, the largest U.S. beauty retailer. Ulta sells a mind-boggling 25,000 beauty products from over 500 brands. Shelly has been with Ulta Beauty for six years and has served as CMO for nearly a year. Ulta is among the 20 fastest growing retailers in the world, going from 356 stores in 2010 to nearly 1,200 today and on their way someday to 1,700. Shelly is a proud Wisconsin Badger and has worked at Kellogg's, P&G, PepsiCo, and the market research firm, GFK. Shelly is a self-described architect of brand purpose at Ulta, and she has led Ulta through the pandemic better than most retailers, and we're going to learn in this podcast how she navigated that. And if that is not enough, we have a very special guest who joins Shelly and me toward the beginning of the recording. This is my conversation with Shelly House. Shelly, welcome finally to the CMO podcast. You are in one of the best CMO jobs in the world, working for one of the best CEOs in the world, so I cannot wait to spend about an hour with you. So I want to start our chat about the times we're living in. I saw you post it somewhere that you are the mom of a son who is in the, quote, pandemic class of 2020. So I want you to start by talking about how are you managing your time your priorities, your energy level, your life Mm -hmm. over the last seven to eight months? That is a great question. That's the million dollar question. Um, Yeah, he is part of the the class of 2020. And uh, that's been really tough. It's honestly, it's been, and I might even get a little choked up about it because it's emotional, right? When we started um, kind of locking everything down, it was really clear to me pretty quickly that a lot of things were going to be, you know, taken away from him. Graduation and things like that, that, you know, are the the rites of passage for these kids. And, you know, for me, um, one silver lining was we got to spend a lot of time together during that time period, you know, during about eight weeks of lockdown. I have another son who is already in college. And so he came home um, in mid-March and the four of us got to spend a lot of good quality time, you know, dinners together, playing cards, even though I don't love playing cards, it was really great to spend that time together. And I think, you know, one thing 
that was really awesome was to be able to kind of be that family unit during that time and kind of give a ray of hope and a ray of stability, which I think was great. You know, then then we headed into the summer and what that was going to look like for my kids, for both of them. And then um, headed into this particular time period where my son is actually down the hall starting his freshman year at Michigan State University. And it's just surreal. Uh, and I don't really have great answers. I just, I, I'm trying to, you know, be there, but not hover. Um, I'm trying to, it's obviously a very um, testing time from a leadership standpoint in what I, what I do. So I'm trying to reserve energy to be there for the kids. So it's, it's a really interesting time to navigate. And I just, you know, I just kind of am really real with them that I don't have all the answers. I can't really lay out good options. You know, I've done things like um, lay out grids for them to think about pros and cons of different scenarios in their life, which is, you know, very me as a, as a CMO. Um, but it's a, it's kind of a gut wrenching time to be honest. And you know what I, what I would say also, it gives me a lot of um, empathy for a lot of my team that are going through all sorts of crazy situations, whether it's having babies at home or homeschooling kids. I really, I, I get the emotion that people are going through because I'm going through it. Yeah. So just one side question. When Michigan State someday plays Wisconsin again, who will you root for? <laughs> well, when my kids both chose to go to Michigan State, I told them that I would always root for Michigan State unless they play Wisconsin. So that's All like, right, that's, that's a non-starter. Very CMO, <laughs> politically correct answer. So we'll, we'll get back to that later. So uh, you know, listen, what are some of the rituals? You talked about the family dinner, your team at work needing you know even more uh, um, empathy and concern and communication. What are some of the rituals you've developed as a person, as a leader in the last seven to eight months that mm -hmm. you want to carry forward when we come through this? I'll start with the team. The, the biggest thing that was on my mind in mid-March as we closed down and went to remote working was how we would stay connected as a team. And it really was one of the things that was keeping, like literally keeping me up at night. And I started right away a text thread with my leaders where we were just sharing, you know, quotes and funny quips and memes, of course. And I started doing videos. I started doing Friday videos to my leaders on my team and then Monday morning videos to my entire team. And sometimes I'm like, is anybody looking at these? But I've gotten so much good feedback along the way that it's been such a great way to connect. And I think a great way for So what's people, in those videos, if I could ask you? Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a mix. Sometimes I'm kind of shouting out some of the awesome work that people have done um, when we were opening stores and the team had pivoted when we opened curbside and the team stood that up in a month. So some, some of it's that, some of it's personal stuff. So I talk about, you know, what's going on with my sons and heading into college and how weird that is. And, you know, hopefully kind of conveying some empathy for what I think other people are going through. And I also think that it's kind of shown a very casual, vulnerable side of me because, you know, just like I got choked up a little bit at the beginning, I've, I've let that emotion kind of roll through and, you know, whether it was things like the closed down or, you know, kids homeschooling or the George Floyd death, they see kind of that raw emotion in some of those, those videos. And then also just a more casual side, like I've done videos, you know, up at my lake cottage with my ball cap on and things like that, that I just, I think this whole thing has shown a different side. Like, look at you're sitting, you know, in your living room and I'm here in a guest bedroom that I made into an office and kids come in and go out and pets. And, and so I think that's a part that is enlightening because it, we've connected on a different level and I don't think that should ever go away. So Shelly, we're going to do something early in this podcast that we have never done on the CMO podcast. This is a first in our 18 months of recording. Oh, you're scaring me, Jim. When I told my daughter that the CMO of her favorite store was going to be on my podcast, she wanted to say hi. So what we're going to do now, she's a very busy schedule. She works on the night shift in an ICU in San Diego, California. So a few hours ago, she recorded this for you. So we're going to let this run and talk about it.
Hi, I'm Claire Stengel. I am guest appearing on the podcast from the Cardiac ICU Night Shift. Uh, I'm a very big fan of Alta. I'd just like to say thank you for bringing me a lot of joy during this uh, time of staying home. And um, you've really helped me turn my bathroom into a spa uh, this year, which is keeping me going. So thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I'm a big fan of Alta. That is amazing. I want to say hi to Claire and thank you for everything that you're doing. What, what, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure heart wrenching thing to do right now in the times that we're in. So that was awesome. So can you guess Shelly, what her favorite current brand or product line is at Ulta? And it's a real favorite. Ooh. I know you have a few brands in Ulta. Mm. This is a tough one. I, I mean, I would say Ulta beauty collection, but she was talking about spa. So um, then I'm going to think more like Mario Badescu or something kind of skin related. What is it? Well, I think she, I think she has that as well. But Dashing Divas Nail Gel, oh my gosh, she is spending so much time with that brand. She's got do-it-yourself do it nails, right? Yes, yes. You're, you're wearing them now? No, I'm not, but I, <laughs> I understand the do-it-yourself nails uh, dilemma that people are in. Well, she is going to return to the podcast in a little while. She has a couple more questions for you, but we're going to wait. I'm going to take back the podcast, but we'll bring Claire back in later for some recorded questions. And I want to start with where we began the podcast, and that is the pandemic, right? Yeah. So your sector was really hit hard. You managed it better than most, and you really, in hindsight, look exceptionally well-prepared for this because of the work you did on the digital consumer experience. You launched your new app right before the pandemic. So it was very, very well-timed. And your e-commerce sales are up 200% in the last quarter. So every CMO in the world is trying to improve their digital experience, their e-commerce presentation, the bridge between physical and digital. So I want you to share what could others learn by how you approached this digital experience? Uh, what surprised you since you launched the app? My daughter told me, Claire, she spends more time on your app than anything on her phone. Love it. So tell us what you've learned, what others could learn from you. Well, you're right. We were well-prepared headed into this. Um, and you know, we, we don't take that for granted. And a lot of blood, sweat, and tears leading up to this time period. But I, I would say there are a couple keys for us. We've always looked at the digital experiences as, as additive to the physical experiences. So that intersection of digital, physical, and emotional really centered around what we believe is the most important, which is human connection. So all of those pieces that we build, we build with the human connection of the guest at the center. And I think that's what Claire's feeling and why she sp spends so much time on the app. Um, and, and simplifying the experience and also, you know, what I call being the beauty guru, which is probably also why she spends a lot of time. We have a, we have a point of view. We have a point of view around what things people will love, uh, how to serve them up seasonally or during some of our biggest beauty events of the year. So a lot of that comes through on the app. And then the other piece, I would say uh, the team has just done a fantastic job pushing into the AR and AI space. So we've had a couple great acquisitions over the past couple of years that have really set us up for success there. So being able to personalize the experience and serve up recommendations is I think something that really connects people to our app. And then creating virtual experiences like Glam Lab, which is a virtual try-on. Thank goodness we pushed so heavily into that space because as it was kind of a nice to have and we were dabbling and, and really pushing that, it became so critical as we re, you know, closed stores, first of all. So how are people going to look, touch and try? Glam Lab was a great way to be able to do that. But even as we reopened stores, it looks very different. And the idea of, you know, testing lipstick on the back of your hand is a, is a no-go right now. So Glam Lab augmentation of that experience has been exceptionally key to how we've weathered and continue to keep people connected 
to our brand and our experience throughout. So accelerating, you know, I think about the innovation that we did to lead up to this, but then the acceleration of those things. So, you know, we went Glam Lab forward, basically, in everything we do, whether it's emails or, um, you know, even radio and digital around Glam Lab and getting people engaged with Glam Lab. And, you know, it's it's through the roof. We're like nine times up in the amount of engagement. And, and that's been key. And it also has helped us facilitate experiences like curbside. We had stood we, we stood up Opus by online pickup and store last year. Great. Awesome start. People loved it. That gave us the ability to, within a month, stand up curbside you know, once we, we shut down stores. And, and the app is key to that experience, too. So if you had to boil it down to one lesson to CMOs listening about, I mean, I remember when Domino's years ago got ahead of their category with their digital experience and the, and the resources they shifted and, and the consumer work they did to uncover insights that they could unlock and then deliver uh, on work behind those insights. If there's one major level piece of advice that you could say in one or two sentences to CMOs who would like to emulate what you've done, what would it be? I will tell you something that I think is an internal secret sauce around that. We look at it as a holistic business initiative. It's not a digital business initiative. And I think that's been key to our success. Yeah, super. Now, is there anything you've learned about consumer behavior that may not be obvious over the last seven to eight months? I mean, Claire talked about her bathroom is now her spa. That's certainly one, maybe that's obvious. Uh, Obviously e-commerce is booming, et cetera, et cetera. But what fundamental, I mean, will the store ever be the same coming mm-hmm. out of this? I mean, what, what, what sort of other consumer yeah. insights that you'd like to share? Well, I, I'll go back to something else Claire said about Ulta Beauty and what it's meant to her during this time, which is joy. She used the word joy. And the, I, I think there's fundamental human truth in that. And we've really anchored on that during this time period. And, and we had the brand uh, set up around you know, thinking about beauty as joy and not superficial and thinking about the beauty, you know, beauty being able to unlock possibilities. And, and I think that set us up really well to spark that joy because I think what we've learned or what we've, you know, maybe corroborated is that beauty does bring people joy. And in the dark times, we could be the light and, and help people. So I, I think that's one thing. And then you know, it shifted so fast for us. At the beginning, the consumer behavior was really about hand sanitizer and, and you know, soaps and things like that. Then it moved really quickly into do-it-yourself. And then into wearing masks. Well, now what do my eyes look like? What does my hair look like? So I think the idea of seeing around corners and hyper-relevance and understanding how things are shifting. I mean, we thought things were shifting fast before. That seeing around corners, uh, I think, is, is, is fundamental, too, because it's, ch- it's just changing all the time. How have you changed your organization or your own time, for that matter, to enable you to see around the corners? Well, a big focus for our Consumer Insights team is pulse checks weekly. And that you know, we, we've basically had to deprioritize a lot of work. I mean, that whole idea of simplification in the organization during this time period, uh, I think is key. I'll talk about that in a second. But um, that focus of getting that team almost solely focused on understanding how people are shifting week to week, big perception, and then within beauty has been has been really key. So I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest changes. The other one, I'll I'll go back to the idea of simplification. We've had to do so much more connecting as a leadership team. And I think this is a really important lesson to be able to drive simplification and decisiveness at a new level. And you know, I, I look over here as we're speaking about this on my wall in my office, and I've got a page that I wrote on the 16th of March, and it says simplification, prioritization, prioritization, decisiveness, clarity. And that has really been my my true north as a leader. And, and I think that connection to be able to simplify, prioritize, decide things quickly, and be super clear for our teams has, has really been key. 
You know, Shelly, I want to pause on that one because that's such, such an important lesson right now. I've been doing lots of CMO roundtables in the evening. I've been doing podcasts every week. And that theme since the pandemic of taking responsibility to cut through the clutter, focus on the most important things, to open up space in your people's lives to deal with everything they're dealing with. Absolutely. With their, their health, their family's health, their everything, you know, uh, what's going on around us in society. So never, never, it's always been important, but never more important to do those four things that you just said. And I think coming out of the pandemic, they will remain important and there's no turning back. No turning back. I mean, th- those are, I, I look at it as like a double down on those things that we always knew were important, but kind of struggled with. I, mm-hmm. I think we all struggle with those things because our our appetites to move fast and create and impact the business are bigger than the capacity that we have. I mean, that's a tale as old as time, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the lessons that we've learned here about that, and to your point about how leadership needs to take the responsibility to do that, and a lot of it is line, aligning. I mean, we needed to make the space for us to spend the time to align and be much more you know, simple and focused. How much time do you think your leadership team is spending together versus before the pandemic? Two X, three X, six X, six X, six X. We, at the beginning, we had leadership team meetings every night and then filled in during the week. That's, we, we used to have one, one hour a week. So that's been, that's been really key. And, and we've just, you know, I'm really lucky to have amazing counterparts and I thank my lucky stars for it every day because we can, we can really talk through it and get to the place that we think is best. And we respect and appreciate each other's angles. And that all starts with, you know, strong culture, strong people. So that's another thing that set us up to be able to, to do this. We're going to talk about that in a few more minutes, but I want to sort of do a little bit of a hit the rewind button on your career. Uh, you've been at Ulta for six years, but before that, Uh, And you've been CMO, by the way, for about nine months, right, of those six years. That's right. But before that, you worked at Kellogg's. You worked at Quaker, which is part of PepsiCo. You worked in the big research company, GFK, and then Ulta. Those are all great companies, and I'm sure you learned a ton when you were there. But you've been part of one of the absolute greatest growth stories of our times. You know, your top line is double versus when you started. And you're a super hot brand with consumers, as we heard one testimonial from my daughter a few minutes ago. So I'd like you to share with our listeners, you know, what's that playbook been? You know, if I asked you to write a business book about this, what would you call it? What would the chapters be? Mm, Chapters is a good word to use. That's how I think about the chapters. I, I probably would call it something like putting the puzzle pieces together to create the strongest leadership story. I, that, that's a, not a pithy one coming from a CMO. But, um, but I do look at it. You, you mentioned the places that I've been, um, including P&G. We have that in common, although I, I left much earlier in my career than you did. And I learned so many things at each of those points. Then taking this role, I really felt like it was the role of my life. And was the role that was created for me to put the puzzle pieces together and create, really create, create the team, create the vision, create the brand. And it just, you know, it's been a dream come true. The past six years have been hard. But as you said, it's the greatest CMO job on on earth. I do, I do believe for so many reasons. It's a great category. Uh, it's a great brand story. It's a great leadership story. And so I've been able to learn so much and incorporate so much during the last six years. It's been, it's been I think, kind of an all roads led here type of a, of a feeling for me. So for your career, everything sort of came, to de- came together in this job. It's almost right. like destiny. Right. Exactly. I, do, I did feel like it was destiny. So what is the magic of this brand and this company? I know that a lot has been written about you and there's been interviews, but if you had to distill it, what is 
what is how do you differentiate on your culture and on this brand? You're in a really, really cluttered category, and you've stood out. I mean, you have, you compete with Sephora for God's yeah. sake, and everyone else. Yeah, and everyone so what, else. Yeah. So, what is the magic? I think this role and these six years have taught me even more that it's all about people. I mean, that's just just what it boils down to. You can talk about consumer insight and you can talk about the assortment and you can talk about the experience and you can talk about all of that. But the, you know, the continued metamorphosis of authentic leadership, empathetic leadership, um, visionary leadership, and building teams of people that are awesome at what they do, they care about other people, and they can work well together is a secret sauce. I knew it before. I knew it from watching cultures that I thought were really good and watching cultures that I thought were not so good. Being here has really cemented that for me, that it is all about the people. And, you know, you mentioned Mary, um, it starts there. I, I really think and know now being in this position, what tone that sets and what example it sets and the connection that people have with her and feel with her is palpable in the company. And you don't feel like that at many companies. And then she sets that tone by who she hires and who they hire. And it, it, it's it's just a domino effect that I don't think can be underplayed. So you're speaking about Mary Dillon, your CEO, who started at Ulta a year before you did. So you've been a team for you know six years, and she obviously is one of the best CEOs in the world these days. Tell us about how you work with Mary. You talked about she sets the tone from the top. It's all about the people. It's about how you work together, relationships, empathy, caring. But, you know, the CMO-CEO relationship is not always the best. And the CMO-CFO relationship is not always the best. There's a lot of research about that these days. But how do you work with Mary? How do you, what issues and areas do you work with her? And which ones do you not work with her? Tell us about your relationship. I'm in an interesting position with my CEO because she grew up in brand management. So she is a, you know, quote unquote, former marketer. And the, the great thing about that is that she believes in the power of brand building and the power of marketing. And is, that's why she and, and Dave Kimball, who's my boss, the president of the company, wanted to craft this within the company. So that's great. Now, the, the potential downside is that you have a CEO who is a closet marketer and wants to direct the marketing of the company, the brand of the company. But Mary doesn't do that and doesn't see it that way because she really believes that if she's hiring experts in the space, she has to give them the room and wants to give them the room to go build what she's asked them to build. So I think that's a great lesson. Watching those things are great lessons for, you know, for me and other leaders in our company. And I have such a collaborative relationship with her you know, texting, um, you know, funny quips and back and forth. But, the, you know, the big things that we work on are how we're going to build the brand. And when I feel like I'm at a milestone that I want her input and need her input and need her to believe that it's the right direction for her company, our company, then we have that really candid discussion. But she's very um, open and she picks and chooses her areas that she's giving input and helping to shape. Also good learning. I, I think you know, there are just so many examples for me of things that I watch. And I, I'm a very um, visual person. So I always think about things in metaphors. And I, I always think about it like I have a quiver and I'm picking arrows from all the great leaders that I've seen along the way. And I add those quivers to my back. And you know, Mary is one of those people that you just watch and understand such a collaborative, visionary direction uh, and how she does it. So if you were talking to a bunch of CEOs and for the CEOs listening to this podcast, what could they learn 
from Mary about how to best work with a CMO and with marketing? That is a great question. I, I think I would point to something that I alluded to, which is, you know, hire the best people and let them, let them run, but set the expectation that they're going to be, you know, checking in with you at key points and not too late in the game. You know, that's always, I think some, a, a downfall maybe of, of some CMOs, it's like very late in the game where they're bringing people along. Um, and I think, I think that's probably the, you know, it in a nutshell that I would say, uh, you know, you mentioned the CFO relationship too. It is an interesting one, right? Invest, pull back, invest, pull back, show me, prove, you know, and that's been an interesting scenario for me too with, with our CFO. We, we have a great relationship at the beginning. I think he might have been a little like, I don't about all this investing and how we're changing things here, this purpose building. And I would say the best compliment that I've gotten in the past six years was about two years in, he said, I'm a believer. And I was like that. How did he come to be a believer? What, how did you work with your CFO so that he could say those words? When we were doing the building of the brand purpose, we were doing it as a group. We were really doing it. I was doing that with the executive team. So it wasn't like bake it up and go present it. It was a co-creation process. So that's number one, I would say was really helpful. And then two, uh, the growth of the brand and the growth of the business certainly uh, helped. But we had now embedded analytics to prove what marketing was actually delivering. And it had grown so much and we had increased, you know, we've, we've increased the ROI on marketing 60% in the last five years. So when he sees those types of things, he is, he is a believer, not to mention, just like you, he's got daughters and his daughters are such fans of the brand now of Ulta Beauty, not just the brands we carry, but of Ulta Beauty. So he's seeing that firsthand and the content that they're consuming from what we're doing. And I think that's been another linchpin that has brought him along. He's surrounded. Surrounded on all fronts. So that's when how you we say do your it. marketing ROI is way up, like 60%, have you brought him and his people into that analysis so they understand it, they believe it, there's credibility? Absolutely. My finance partners lead a lot of that work. They lead the inputs. They lead the outputs. So we've, we've developed that and we've done that hand in hand. So I think it's a really great point, Jim, because it's, it's a whole army of people who are now seeing firsthand what it's delivering and understanding and can answer questions back to him about the way that we look at it and about the insights that we get and how we're morphing things accordingly. It's a really good point. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Listen, I want to go back to this people point that you brought up about what's so special about this brand, the magic of this brand. Everyone says that. Everyone aspires. People are the greatest asset in our company. There's a lot of famous P&G leaders who have said that over the years. It's harder to do than say, of course. And you've been able to do it and rise above because of that. Are there any uh, things that we could learn from you, Mary, the team, just how you work together, practices, habits, rituals again, uh, how you work that would help others who sincerely want to you know, build a, a team of people who are working to their full potential. So is there anything that we could learn from how you've excelled in this area? I would give you a couple things from the way that we work that I could point to. One, 
when we say the associate is at the center of everything we do, we truly mean it. And I mean, in discussions that we're having, and this year is the perfect example. When we were deciding to close stores, which was a tremendously difficult decision, how we were opening stores, how we were thinking about giving people flexibility, because you mentioned giving people space to be able to deal with the, the, even the personal things that they're dealing with right now. We always, always are talking about the impact on the associate. Not every company does that. I, I just, you know, it's, it's simple things like that, I would say. And then the other thing so that I would when you say point, associates, it's the, the people who work in the stores in the, or ever, all employees. All of all our employees. employees. Okay. All of our employees. And I, I, I just think it sounds so simple and it sounds so no-brainer. But it just, it doesn't happen in every company. I know I've been at a lot of different companies. The idea of what we're doing and the impact to the associate, to all of our associates is at the core of our discussions. And, and then it, you know, it gets to simple things like giving people during this time period, we blocked off noon to one as no meeting zones. Now we're blocking off Friday afternoons, things like that. That honestly, I go back to, you know, building the brand from the inside out. And those decisions that we've made along the way and how we've handled everything along the way have manifested themselves both in the, you know, culture survey that we just did, where we see the, you know, the understanding of the impact that we're having on associates, as well as how we're manifesting to consumers. Because I will tell you, just a few weeks ago, we were looking at our latest brand health numbers, and the one that really grabbed my attention the most was that integrity, the brand attribute of integrity, is up eight points during this time period. When do you ever see an eight-point swing in an attribute in one quarter? So that idea that what we're building internally is actually reflecting externally, I think, is pretty special. Congratulations on that, Shelley. It is amazing. It is amazing. It is. Now, you talked about uh, brand purpose when you talked about your leadership team and how you work together and everyone was involved. You know, when you describe your role, and I've seen you say this, you say you're, you are the architect of brand purpose for Ulta Beauty. I mean, that's a simple and profound job description. And I want you to share what that means to you. How do you live it? How that guides your work? How, do you, how it guides how you spend your time. So could you tell us a bit about that simple job description and how you, Shelley, live it day to day? To me, when I think about architecting brand purpose, I don't think about marketing communications. I think about the core and heart of the company and the brand. And the great thing is that our executive team has has believed in that too. So the purpose that we live in thinking that we use the power of beauty to bring out possibilities that lie in every person is our true north for the, the company and our mission. It guides every project we start. It guides every piece of communication. It guided pivots when we went into the pandemic. And I just feel that knowing who you are as a brand and infusing that ethos into the entire company is a way to be able to set yourself up to live and breathe it every day. The way I live and breathe it, but all the way to the people in the stores. Because I guarantee you that many of them could talk about using the power of beauty to bring out possibilities. And I guarantee you that many of them could talk about our fresh, fun, and real personality. And at the beginning, when we were, when we were you know, designing and really tapping into our brand purpose, my objective was to be able to simplify it in a way that people could drink it in. And so that's how I live it every day. I, I am here to define it, envision it, and simply communicate it in a way that people feel. I, I think there's nothing um, more important than 
feeling that you are that so that you can manifest it. So that's kind of a, a, a maybe a little bit esoteric in how I live and breathe it every day. But I think then it helps us define what's right for our brand and what's not for our, right for our brand pretty easily, actually. You have thousands and thousands of associates. You have lots and lots of stores. How do, how do you work with your associates so this is theirs? So it's not a corporate thing that they can express it with their own personalities, in their own language, with each customer in a different way, possibly. So how do you do that? That's, that's a, daunting, it's a daunting piece of work, and many companies fall short of that. It does not get activated with each individual person in an enterprise, and that's when it starts falling apart. Absolutely. First and foremost, when we were crafting what is our purpose, how do we define it, it started with the associates and a lot of associates in the store to understand what was really the, the special thing that they felt like we were delivering every day. And that was really the kind of the early stages of understanding that it's about unleashing possibility. Because you can think of a lot of different spaces that you could play in in beauty, right? Is it about confidence? Is it about joy? Is it about, I mean, and we, we looked at them all, but the associates believe that they are unleashing people's possibilities. So building it from something that's already there was critical. Then there's the, you know, playing it back. And we use every touch point to play it back, whether it's Mary talking about the possibilities in every person and how we deliver it is critically important. Keisha Steelman, who's our chief store operations officer, has been a, a key partner of mine since the very beginning, it, and she expresses it and her leadership express it in all the touch points. That's been really, really key too. And then the last thing I would say is we use a lot of examples. We use a ton of examples from the stores of how we use the power of beauty to bring out possibilities so that people can, can, can see the tangible examples and understand what that means and, and really breathe it in. So lots of storytelling. So how do you how do you build this into KPIs? I mean, do you, do you? I mean, do you how, how do you measure it? How do you ensure you're improving it? How do you ensure that customers are seeing it? We do measure. Do they understand kind of the key message of the brand? So there's that. But then the other thing I would say is back to the attributes that we're looking at. So the idea of you know do do they think that we're beauty for all? Are we beauty for them? That's really key. Are we empowering? Integrity, I mentioned before. These you know, key attributes that we're looking to move the needle on are really key. And then even just simplicity of looking at top of mind awareness. Are we now the brand? And, and we've, we've moved our top of mind awareness 16 points in the last five years. To, wow. to, to 58%. So that idea that we're coming to mind when, you know, when you ask someone like Claire, who do you think of when you think of beauty retail? And they're saying Ulta Beauty. That's another way. So we, we look at it in a, in a multidimensional way. Wow. Uh, you just brought up Claire. I want to return to my co-host for this episode, <laughs> my daughter, Claire. She has a question for you, Shelly. So let's okay. turn it back to Claire. Okay. I think you've done such a great job with your brand, and I love everything you're doing. I especially love how inclusive Ulta is um, and all the different collaborations and the way you highlight um, Black-owned brands and um, you know, uh, really include LGBTQ influencers in a lot of your um, branding and marketing. And I was just wondering how you see um, that, uh, how, how you see Ulta playing a role in in helping to create a more just and inclusive um, uh, beauty culture and um, just our uh, culture in general. Well, she asks more deep and profound questions than I do, Shelly. So <laughs> I think she definitely wants to co-host with you from now on, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's that a is good a one. good one. That is a good one. I love this question because it's so core to who we are. We've always had diversity and inclusion as a core part of the DNA of Ulta Beauty. Over the past years, we've doubled down on that. There's a reason that we say 
bring out the possibilities in every person. That beauty for all piece of it was so critical for us to double down on that. And we crafted the vision at that point to use the responsibility and the power that we have to shape the way the world sees, feels, and experiences beauty. And that concept is something that we talk about all the time. And I love that you talked about this being one of the best CMO jobs. This is one of the reasons it's one of the best CMO jobs because beauty and culture and diversity and inclusion are intertwined. So it does really give me a lot of inspiration. And, um, and again, I'll go back to the word responsibility uh, to be able to do that, to really be able to, to influence the way people see, feel, and, and experience beauty. And we want it to feel seamless. We, we always talk about it as light the candle and lead the way. So we're not a brand that wants to be um, you know, controversial. We want diversity and inclusion to feel so natural that it feels like it was always there. So when, when we launched our first campaign on this purpose platform a couple years ago, the idea of all ages, all ethnicities, um, all genders, including gender fluid, all shapes and sizes was key to our story. And doing it in a way that felt like it was so natural was really key to our story. Now, fast forward, this year has given us a pause to listen, learn, and act even more, really double down. And to Claire's point, we've done so much work leading up to this, Black-owned brands, how we've you know, portrayed diversity and inclusion, how we think about diversity and inclusion internally. But this time period has been a double down in not enough, not fast enough, let's go. And I look forward to being able to, to impact that even more. So, you know, we just, we just had Pride Month in June and telling the stories of our guests and our associates um, is great. We, you know, are now in Hispanic Heritage Month. Highlighting those stories is, is a way we can do that as well. Black-owned brands and making sure that we give Black-owned brands a great chance and mentor and, and, and make sure we make them successful, as well as making sure that people, people understand the breadth of our Black-owned brands. There are so many things that we can continue to do to shape the way the world sees, feels, and experiences beauty. So for me, it's really exciting. It's exciting. It's positive, and and you're really uh, you don't, you're you know setting many standards as a company. What, what are your challenges? You say you want to do even more, and you're you're doing a lot. You just outline many things you want to keep doing and even amplify. But what is there a a, a big one you really really want to tackle and make progress on? I would say making sure that people have a consistent experience in the stores. It's a challenge that every retailer deals with, but we want to be just like we are mm -hmm. in every, you know, in every space, we want to be the leader. So you know, Mary is the chairwoman of Rila, just took that on in January. So good timing, if you look at it that way, um, to be able to make a bigger impact there and, and think about how we deliver consistent experiences that every person loves, no matter who you are, and to be able to impact that even more broadly as you think about broader retail. What are we, collective, capital W, mm -hmm. doing to, to impact that? So I would say that that's probably the one. All right. I'm going to turn it back to my daughter, my co-host, for her last question. Awesome. I'm also interested in uh, how you guys are doing more um, with wellness. Um, through Ulta and how you see that um, playing out in the future. Jim, she's got great questions. <laughs> she's a fan, <laughs> a super fan. I love it. But she, you know, she's hitting on a lot of the pieces of our vision as a brand. So that's, 
amazing. It's been an interesting evolution to watch the intersection of beauty and wellness. The idea that I talked about before that beauty isn't, or you know, the act of beautying, whatever it is for you, isn't superficial. It is actually, it has superpowers and self-care is one of those superpowers. And then think about, uh, you know, how we, we could think about adjacencies, even from a product standpoint, is, is pretty exciting. So we've got, we've got a lot of cool wellness brand. Love Wellness might be one that, that Claire has started to kind of dabble with. And extending that story, both at a brand level and thinking about how we um, highlight Ulta Beauty as a wellness destination, as well as build out the assortment even further over the next couple of years is going to be key for us. But I would say the one really critical piece to that is skincare. Skincare has already had a, a surge over the past few years. And one of the reasons is because of its intersection with self-care and having healthy skin all the way to the ritual of, you know, touching your skin and, you know, getting centered and feeling like you're nurturing yourself has been key. That has been one of the key categories that has accelerated this year during the pandemic because people have that craving and maybe a little bit more time, even if they're not commuting and things like that, to be able to spend on crafting some more wellness slash self-care slash skincare regimens. And really leaning into that is going to be key for us as well. In fact, we're um, within our new campaign, we have a 15-second spot that is specifically about the idea of nourish your skin and nourish your spirit. So it really leans into this idea of holistic wellness anchored in the skincare category. Well, your new campaign is beautiful and all this is so anchored in your purpose. It's also harmonious. So well done. Thank you. Hey, one last question from me that I did talk with Claire, and that is, you know, it's, it's, it's about your portfolio and it's hard to have a portfolio that bridges, you know, the extreme high end and more accessible low price points. It's hard for brands to do that and keep their tone of voice together, keep their presentation together. You're doing that. So any lessons in how you manage to make every customer feel, you know, your stores for them, if they're buying something that's, I don't know, a hundred dollars, if they're buying something, it's $2. The company was founded on the idea that that's how guests already shop that there shouldn't be this artificial distinction between high and low and you, you the paradigm that you go here for these kinds of brands and that you go over here for these kinds of brands. That we as beauty lovers want a little bit of all of it. We want to pull it all together. So that's one of the anchors of our communication. Um, and that's all centered on the guest and, and how she already shops and, and curates. And then the other one I'd say, you know, comes back to when we understand the brand, then you understand how to wrap up those stories and be able to, to serve them up in a really seamless way. Uh, but I think it's key to even what Gen Z love about us because they're the ultimate curators. I mean, when you look at what they do in, in fashion, you know, everything from H&M to a Gucci purse um, and, and this is something that Gen Z loves about us, bringing this together seamlessly. But I think that's probably the biggest lesson to be able to bring those things together is that it, you know, it's back to it's always anchored on the brand. And I use the word, my team and peers think it's funny because I make up words like guru-ness, uh, but it comes back to our point of view and how we're curating for the guest around stories that are really, really relevant. And I think that's another probably lesson learned. As long as you're anchoring on a relevant story, you can kind of bring everything together that you want. And even services, because we've got the services story as well. So bringing those things, you know, anchored around a hyper-relevant story that's meaningful to the guest is how we look at it. Now, I want to move to the lightning round. This is going to be a really fun one because Claire helped me with this, and so did Liz <laughs> Keating, my marketing director, who's also a big fan of Ulta. 
So I'm going to start with, you know, you are a woman of many talents, and we've seen that in the last 50 minutes or so. But this talent takes the cake. You can roll a quarter down your nose and bounce it off a table and land it in a cup of beer 80% of the time. That's very specific. Is that true? And if it is, who was your mentor on that? Mm, Jim, you are going way back here. Okay. Well, I had some help. First of all, first of all, you mentioned this at the beginning when you alluded to Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison. That's, the, that's the, the platform for it. I learned a lot about it in college. And for some reason, I have the right nose trajectory. And I figured that out early on. And I was able to win a lot of bets during college uh, on that. So yes, it is true. I'm, I haven't done it in a while, so I'm not sure I still have that skill. But I it's definitely It's like riding did. a bike. <laughs> So who was your mentor on that? My, my, you know, kids, just... my kids are going to love that one. Uh, you know, n- no one. I, no I one. kind just... of, n- I mean, I saw other people do it, but not do it well. So I thought I could probably do that better. If we ever return to big marketing conferences, you know, where we have cocktails after big speeches, I'm going to get you on this one. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be at your be, table. That's going to be really embarrassing. What was your first job coming out of the University of Wisconsin? And what did you learn? Well, this one is an interesting one. I went to work for P&G up in Minneapolis, and I was waiting to get my assignment. And I got the phone call, and the phone call I was kind of confused by because I thought that I was going to go to work. I was going to work in sales at P&G. I was going to work on the target business or super value or something like that. And I got off the phone, and my parents said, well, what'd you, what is it? What's your assignment? And I said, I'm not really sure, but I think it's something like depends. And it was a tens. Way back when, when P&G had their, their healthcare business, uh, I was for six months selling adult incontinence systems in nursing homes across Wisconsin and Minnesota. You learned a few things there. Humility. Mm-hmm. I, I literally, I always laugh that I went from hero uh, waiting for the PNG offer. This is it. This is like the make or break of my life. Got it to zero <laughs> walking around in nursing homes with my bag full of, you know, incontinence systems. Humility was a really, really big, a big one for me. But the other thing that I would say during that whole time period, those first few years at PNG was super formative from, a learning discipline, learning how to communicate, learning about the consumer and consumer insight. I, I after, you know, that moved into brand management at P&G, it was very formative from, from that standpoint. The other thing that I learned is um, really grab onto those people who believe in you early on, because there were a few people, even way back when, even in those very first couple years of P&G, who were like, you could do this or you could do that. And I, those were the things that really opened my eyes to what I wanted my career to be and what was special about me. The greatest inspiration in your life. Ooh, um, well, my kids are definitely an inspiration. I, honestly, I would say my husband. We've been together for 23 years. We've been together since we were 17. And he just has been an unbelievable support. Honestly, because he's he's a teacher, so he's teaching downstairs. He's teaching seventh grade math here in the house. Before I got on this phone call, he said, you were made for this. So, I mean, there you go. <laughs> he just inspires me every day and just believes in me. You are made for this. Tell him I agree when you get off. <laughs> I will. Tell him you did a great job. <laughs> I will tell him that. What are you reading, watching, listening to these days that is interesting for you? Oh, I mean, so many things. Some I watch for release. So I actually started binge watching Fixer Upper, which is an older show, uh, but, but that's awesome. And then there are so many interesting things out right now. Um, Mary actually suggested The Shy, which is based in South Chicago. 
and um, and is just such an interesting, you know, learning and look um, into lives that are different from your own. Things like that have been awesome. I've watched so many cool documentaries during this time period. I know that you um, were talking with one of the other CMOs at, from Levi's about Athlete A. You know, when I listened to that, I was like, wow, she was she was part of that. That was amazing because I've, I've had a little bit more time pockets here and there to be able to watch things like that. So from from fluff, I would say to like edutainment to, to education, it's been there have been a lot of cool things. Are you reading more or less? Um, I'm reading a bit more. I'm reading a bit more books, which is a, a good habit I want to make. I want to continue. You know, I, I don't know that I'm reading more. I, I'm reading about the same. I would say maybe listening to podcasts a little mm -hmm. more because yeah. I'll do, I've been, you know, back to the rituals. Like I've, I've been going for much longer walks, like hour and a half walks. I have a certain path that I take and listen to them there. So that gives me a little bit of an outlet and uh, a little bit of breathing room, literally and figuratively. I would like you to share your advice to Claire and her friends on managing their career. A career is a journey and don't plan it out maybe so far, be open. I, I think I had very, you know, set goals and then I rejiggered along the way. And you need different things and want different things at different times. You know, whether it's because of kids or other reasons, whatever is fueling you at the time. Sometimes you get burned out. I did. And and I, you know, chose different paths at different times. And and that's okay. And it'll it, it'll still work out. I like to share those stories because I think people feel like if I make that choice, then then what? It's like you can you can get back or, you know, zig and zag a little bit more. It's, it's all okay. Who would you like to listen to in the CMO podcast? Have you recorded the CMO from Athleta? No, I don't think so. Um, I really love their brand. Their brand really came out of nowhere to me, you know, as the Lululemons of the world and things like that were pretty, had pretty big strongholds. And I think they've done a fantastic job celebrating diversity, creating their purpose, bringing it to life. I, I would really love to listen to that one. We'll work on it. And I'm going to give you the last word. Any question for me, Shelly? This has been a wonderful dialogue. Anything you want to end on? What advice would you have for me, Jim? Your, your career has been so amazing. Um, you know, both leading up to being CMO at P&G and now what you're doing with your own business, you have chapters. What would your advice be to me with where I am in my career? Stay self-aware. Try to be sure that you're working almost all the time on what you're most passionate about and see if you can organize your life around what makes you happy and what you're most passionate about. And that's what led me to leave PNG. You know, I wanted to do this purpose thing. I thought there was big opportunities for business to shift. And I thought that would be a great way to spend the next chapter in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and I had the self-awareness, I think, to move on it and not take the advice of so many others who were saying, hey, you can be a CEO. And, you know, I, you know yeah, I probably could have, but this is what I wanted to do. And this is what makes me fulfilled and happy and energized. So keep your self-awareness up. Be sure you're spending a high percentage of your time on things that play to your strengths, that make you happy, where you're adding value, you're living your purpose, and everything will work out. And, and I, that sounds, again, really fundamental stuff, but a lot of people don't move quickly enough when they're getting flat, stale, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, they just get into a rut. Mm -hmm. And I think just keep thinking. And keep, because uh, it is a jungle gym of career. Mm -hmm. It's not a ladder, it's a jungle gym. Right. That's amazing advice. You know, passion. I think many people live in their careers without it. And I've never subscribed to that. It's what I tell my kids now that they're 20 and 18. And I always say I'm nothing if not passionate. So I, I think that's 
spot on advice for anyone, but especially good for me to hear and remember. I will end on a shout out to Roy Spence, you know, who started an agency in Austin, Texas that Omnicom eventually bought. You know, he has this gift of talking to young people and seeing what they're really, really passionate about. And then he works with them to build a business model around it. And he did it for his daughter, who now runs a really successful yoga studio and cafe in Austin. I mean, really successful. Hmm. But that's what she loves. He said, let's build a business around it. You know, it's just being creative and thinking that, you know, you'll probably have a more successful career if you're doing something you love. I think that's amazing advice. I remember telling my parents that I was going to go into marketing when I was at business school at Wisconsin. And they were like, yeah, that's not really a thing. Like, that's not really a career. Um, so I like to tell them now, well, I, I think it kind of is a career, but it was it was all about the, the passion points that I felt. That's amazing. I may have to connect my kids to Roy. He'd love that. Shelly, this has been a joy. Love that word. So thank you so much. That's where we started with Claire talking about joy. Uh, you brought joy to our life in the last hour, and you will bring it to so many more who listen to this. So thank you. Thank you. And thank Claire, too. That was great. I will for sure. Okay. That was my conversation with Shelley House. This was a textbook discussion about leadership. There are a few leadership teams that run a company as well as Ulta does. The way Shelley talked about how the top team works together, the focus on their associates, the real, real strong focus on purpose infused with the whole organization, and how people are their ultimate competitive advantage, and they are never complacent on that. We tried something new in this podcast. We brought in a consumer, a super fan, my daughter, and Shelly was so cool with that. She rolled with it. She loved it. It shows her love of her business, her people, her consumers. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.